0: Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson.
1: And I'm Christine Thackeray.
2: And I'm Sarah Moss.
0: Well, we're coming to the end of Revelation, and Sarah, we just love having you here with us. And we've talked a lot about the symbols and what's been happening, and especially the unveiling of Christ. That was our big main point from last time. This time we are going to see all the things that Christ does in terms of these last days. And we have some horrific, but also some beautiful things that we're going to be talking about. I did want to just kind of start with a positive message. Richard Draper did a a wonderful job of talking about the messages of the book of Revelation for us as Latter-day Saints. And he said, especially in this section of Revelation, that there are three mess- four messages, sorry, four messages that we should take. And I just wanted to quickly go over those in a context as we talk, because we're gonna talk about some horrific stuff, some pretty scary things that are also talked about in these chapters. But I wanted to start with the positive. So the first one is in Revelation 7:17, 7, where the saints will be protected during trials. And if we go to 717, it says, For the Lamb, and we talked a lot about the Lamb last time, For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. And he's talking about those who are righteous, those who he is protecting. And shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So how does that make you feel when you read that? (laughs)
2: <laughs> there will be tears. That's there will be I tears. There's, yeah. yeah, there's a there's tears to yeah, that will have to all be. the tears from eyes. You're like, how many tears are there going to be?
1: Yeah, I know. love
2: that that he shall
1: feed them to living waters. That we talked about Isn't how living beautiful? waters are a symbol of our covenants, and so many of our covenants have to do with those living waters. You know, the washing, anointing, and our baptismal yeah. covenants. And so, to me, that is so beautiful that that's part of that that will be you know kind of renewed and cleansed and fed so i i really do love that but i agree that it's going to be scary but we we'll still have the lord on our side we'll there be- will
0: be tears but it says they shall hunger no more neither thirst anymore neither shall the sunlight on them nor any heat but when you read that you kind of go so does that mean i will be hungry and thirsty yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> and yes there might be a little bit of that as we talk about some of the things that are going to happen the next one is that temples are and will be sanctuaries against evil as we look to these latter days and this we have yeah. this beautiful in section in the chapter 11 we have a vision of the temple and it says, And there was given me a rod, like a, a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. Now this kind of impressed me was, I thought, okay, how will we be measured? So he's measuring the temple, but he's also measuring us that worship therein. So how do you think the Lord's going to measure us and our temple service?
2: I think it's just our our view to it. I think because of the changes that have happened in the temple, there's been a lot of— well, before the change of the temple, there was a lot of kind of mystery surrounding it. And it was like, oh, it's a club if you understand it. And really, the recent changes have just stripped all of that away. And that's where it says it, it'll be a place where— um, what did. <clears throat> Sorry, what it said something about. Um, oh, what does he say about the temple uh, being a place of refuge from?
1: From the storm. Well, no. The
2: world. What does it say about the temple?
0: And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the oh, angel uh, no, stood. In your- rise, rise, and measure. That
2: your um. Uh, ridges or not ridges, Frederick. The um, the four things that you read.
0: Oh, that temples are sanctuaries against evil.
2: That sanctuaries against evil. Um, I really think uh, a lot of evil has been a confusing and twisting of the word, and that the temples really now have stripped away that ability to twist it, twist it evilly. And I think that uh, one of the things that's going to measure us up is our sincerity in doing it, in doing the work. Are we Are we doing the work so other people can see us going to the temple? or are we doing the work because we have that connection with our ancestors and we desire for further knowledge and all of these things?
0: I agree. I think the Lord's going to look at our heart. That's how we get measured by right. the Lord. It's by our heart. And number, th- the third message is saints can find peace despite the chaos around us. And uh, having 12 children, I am an expert on chaos. <laughs> I know what chaos is like, and it still continues. But I, I love this in chapter 13, we have this idea, and yes, we're going to see a lot of chaos in our discussions today, because we have beasts, and we have dragons, and we have you know, those beasts that are looking like lambs, and beasts that have multiple horns, and ten this, and seven that. But he says, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And I did want to just show that, that, that seven and ten don't go together. I mean, so we can see right there that he's seeing that he's trying to make people think that he's perfection. There's a
1: religion behind it, that it's a worshiping, lifting thing. I loved what Talmadge said, that naturally people will worship, that if we don't worship God, we'll find something something else 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 to to worship. And so the fact that he has that piece of worship in him is a little scary in our world.
0: So we have this scary world And yet we can know, and he says, and the beast, which I saw was like a leopard, and he goes on, and we have the dragon, and then they worship the dragon, which gave power to the beast. They worship the beast, going with what, just right what you said. But along with that, we also have the blessing. And then he talks about how the lamb will stand upon Mount Zion, that we can look to Mount Zion, even though... The beast is coming, all these crazy chaos things are happening, that we can still look to the mount, which is also a symbol of the temple. And the lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him, the 144,000, we kind of talked about that in terms of a symbol of many priesthood, covenanted people. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and the voice of great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping in their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. That's what we have to look forward to. We can find that peace. And I don't know about you, but um, hymns
1: bring me such peace. Right. But the new song is also cool because it talks about it in Isaiah as well. Mm-hmm. And it is very cool thing. Anyway. It is a cool
0: thing. And it is a hymn. It is right. a hymn unto the Lord. And it will be a new song that all of us will sing is, together. we Will sing together. Good oh, voices, everybody. Voices. Hymns
2: <laughs> definitely chase out like anger and fear in my life. Right. Like if I'm ever like mad and driving, and I'm stewing, I'm like, oh, I need to turn on some hymns, right. and it always immediately lifts up, immediately yeah. lightens my day. So I am so excited for for that to happen. The new it's song, be such a contrast to what's been happening in the past.
0: And then the final final thing is something I know we're going to be talking a lot today, is that the faithful will be blessed. That that is something that we can definitely look towards. And I think sometimes we focus, especially in the book of Revelation, about all these terrible things that are going to happen. And I know we're going to talk more about the beast, and we're going to talk more about the destruction and the other things that are happening. The dragon is going to destroy things, a lot of mm-hmm. things. I always think of the Marvel movies when they always have these beasts that come, you know, that destroy. All, it's always New York. It's always, you know, <laughs> Manhattan is it always destroyed.
1: It was in the previous <laughs> Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> but here in Revelation 21, here at the end, we have this vision of what we have to look forward to. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So as we have our discussion today, I do want us to think about this holy, beautiful end that sometimes we focus on. We're going to talk a lot about the scary part. But I'm hoping, too, that we'll remember these messages that we will be protected, that the temples will be sanctuaries, that we can find peace even with chaos, and finally, that we will eventually be blessed even when we are going through difficult times. So I know that John saw many of these earthly events leading up to the final beautiful moment that we just read about. And so, Christine, do you want to help us to understand all of these horses and seals <laughs> and other things that are going to be happening?
1: Well, I'm just going to go through kind of an overview, and we can talk about some little details. But um, when it comes to the six seals, the, the book that is written, the scroll that has these seals, is the book of life, is how the earth has been dealt with with the Lord, and each seal covers a thousand years. So, so often we try to assign it to a single prophet, but there can be multiple prophets. Mm-hmm. And although there may be a dispensation head, understanding that it's it's the thousand years of time, you can see multiple prophets there. So the first white horse, and I love the white horse, um, and we're looking in chapter six, and we're going to be right at the beginning. So, um, oh... And we could start with, and I saw um, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard the voice of these four beasts saying, come and see. And it's cute because the four beasts open the first four seals. And so these beasts, there's two types of beasts, and we talked about that. Mm-hmm. But even in Greek, they're very different. And so if they're beasts that are just creatures of God and they can be a man, they can be a docile little puppy, they can be whatever. Creatures of God that worship God and live within his confines are called zoon, And they're usually good little creatures of God. But wild, vicious predators or monsters are called therion. And so if we were to read the actual Greek it was written in, we'd see the difference between these two. Mm -hmm. But you can see them clearly. So in The first um, four beasts are with the Lord as he opens the first seals. And he says, come and see. And this could be because this is the law of sacrifice during this time. So there is this connection of beasts to righteousness, Mm -hmm. but it stops. And these cover each of the thousand years. So the first one, and I'm just going to go through them really quick, is the white horse, which has the bow and the crown and is the conqueror of man. And that is from Adam to Enoch. And we know with Enoch that there was this conqueror, that he was able to pull the righteous away to protect them, and that they were translated in the city of Enoch, and that was the great white horse. The second is the red horse, which had been from the time of Enoch to the time of Noah. And because in the scriptures we don't have a lot of writing at this time, it's hard to realize that that really was a 1,000 years and you don't think about it. They seem like they were brothers like right next to each other, but mm-hmm. it really was another thousand years. And so the red horse where peace is taken from the earth, it shocks me over and over again that the reason why that people were so not righteous, and I believe this is in the book of Moses where it says the earth was filled with violence. And I always thought in my mind it was filled with wickedness because there's been other really wicked times, mm-hmm. but it was the violence. It was the lack of peace so that no one could be safe. And that's why the souls were saved. And I loved what you said before, how it was some of those were wicked, but the culture had become so evil that even those that were righteous couldn't find the truth.
2: And and it's probably because violence um, causes fear, and fear chases away faith. And so if there's so much violence that they're all just afraid, then there's no peace. There's no... That's absolutely true. And then the black
1: horse... Is, um has famine and locusts, but it says, hurt not the oil and the wine. And this is Abraham to Moses. And that was a time of famine, remember, with Joseph. Right. And it was cute because hurt not the oil and the wine. The patriarchs still were continued during that time and were kept and were kept safe in Egypt. So it's so cute that they'd have that phrase that helps you kind of give an idea that that pale horse. and they And they were susceptible to famine. Oh, you know,
0: even the time of Abraham. Right. I mean, when he he leaves and goes different places, he goes to Egypt right, he goes because he's of, because of the famine. the famine, right?
1: And so that's where that pale horse. Um, am I right? No, that was the black horse. Sorry, that was the black horse. Is the famine the pale horse? Is from the time of Joshua where they establish um, the church to the time of Daniel where they're taken um, with the Babylonians. And up until the time of Christ. And the reason why it's a pale horse is because of the many uh, empires mm-hmm. and how it says that a fourth of the earth was killed. And with each new conqueror, it was just destruction. I imagine. Right. And so even with the Greeks, that's during that dead part of the Bible, such destruction. Babylonian empires, you know, they were the Assyrians taken off. Were the Assyrians, terrible, Assyrians right. just wiped people out without people? even blinking. Mm-hmm. So um, so each one of those was during that pale horse. And then we have the end of the beasts and the end of the horses. And so it's just during that pre-Old Testament time that we have the horses. And then we shift. And instead of having the horse appear when the seal is opened by Christ, sorry, we see the altar of souls of those who have been waiting and the great preaching To the dead and how they have their um it says that they are clothed in white and they are through Christ's atonement, he's told, wait just a little while longer. It's not gonna be much longer. And so we have that great seal, which of course is Jesus Christ. And then with the opening of the sixth seal, which is post-Jesus Christ, going into um the time post-Christ, with the restoration of the gospel and through. To hear. And so this is the time that's confusing. And it is interesting because when they open up the um, sixth seal, a lot of people get um, frustrated. And actually, it's cute that it's in. Uh, well, actually, am I in seven? Where he opens up the sixth seal? No, it's. Here it is. Okay, it's on six. Mm-hmm. Six is the sixth seal, 612. They open up the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became as blood and the stars fell from the earth and the heaven departed as a scroll which is rolled together and every mountain and island removed out of their place. So a lot of people are confused and they say, wait, there hasn't been this major earthquake. Mm -hmm. The sixth seal hasn't happened. The sun hasn't been darkened. The moon hasn't been turned to blood. But my point is, you think that Noah rode a red horse up the ark, that they, those were figurative. And if you look figuratively at each one of these, that there was this great change up. With the Industrial Revolution, it changed the way people lived since the beginning of time yeah. to now. And so there has been this huge shakeup of the whole planet and the way we live. The sun, if it's Christ, becoming darkened, The nature of Christ has been darkened. Mm. Average people don't know the Christ. Um, The moon, which has often been referred to as a symbol of the church becoming as blood, the great persecution of the early saints Mm -hmm. did happen in this dispensation. The stars falling. And as we come to the Lord, we start as stars. We talked about the sparks and the apostasy. The early apostasy in this church and the apostasy now where you see people that have been raised in the church and they just fall. And so the stars are falling from the sky. And then the heavens departing as a scroll. Not only the restoration, but the angels that came and returned the gospel. And so the heaven has opened as a scroll. Mm -hmm. But the own miracles that can happen in our lives. The daily revelation we talked about, that hidden manna that comes to us directly from the Lord, is real and is there and has been restored in a way. And I think even General Conference is part of that. The heavens are open in that scroll, and we get that revelation directly in ways that has never been written well, or said on before. the
2: mountains and islands. You could say we're moving away. Technology has connected where you can be. The people can be on islands and on top of mountains and basically be in the general. And they've
0: moved their place because they're able to still be a part of the world around them.
2: Well, and the
1: last one is interesting because it talks about um, the different men that want the mountains to fall on them and the rocks to fall on us and hide us. And it it talks about the kings, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, bondsmen, freemen. There's seven. And we talked about seven is complete so it's everyone who isn't part of the kingdom of god will eventually by the end of this time be in misery and want you know the rocks to fall on them want to be hidden Mm -hmm. from god and from what's coming and then we go in and he stops at the at the sixth seal and we have this kind of break of these things that are going to happen right before the seventh seal. And it is interesting how many things happen at the very end of the sixth seal. So these things happen in great succession. And um, one of them is the 144,000, which is 12 by 12. And he goes specifically and talks about how there were 12 from each tribe. And so we know 12 is a complete quorum. And so the quorum was complete for all the twelve. And then there were a thousand, which means many, however many. A lot. Mm-hmm. So with that, it's really just saying that they're going to go and seal these 144. So out of every tribe, everyone that's righteous will have the opportunity for the sealing to protect them. And um, oh, sorry, there's an angel from the east. And I did want to talk. Oh, sorry, I missed this part. So there are four angels who have power to hurt the earth. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are waiting to really destroy the earth, to cover it with fire so when Christ comes, everything's going to be clean. And this angel comes to these and says, wait, wait, wait. I need to seal these people. And you can't do it until I've finished. And everybody that should has found their place in the covenant. And so he's going to go and find everybody. And Joseph Smith taught that the sealing of the faithful in their foreheads by this angel from the east the 144,000 um, signifies the sealing and blessing upon their heads meaning the everlasting covenant which is the gospel and making their calling election sure. And so we talked before how we can personally have that sureness, but actually this sounds like it's the true covenant that that you know that we will be sealed to God and that it gives them added power to withstand. The next things that are coming, because they're a lot worse. And so this great missionary work and effort, both on this side of the veil and the other side of the veil, is part of this right now, what we're doing, right. is doing this final gathering. And that's where I think um, a few years ago, actually, it was, I'm an old woman, because for me to say a few years ago, but when they lowered the age of women going on missions, and Jeff R. Holland said, we're hastening the work. It was this part that I thought of was us going out and making sure that everybody's there that can receive this great, great gift. Um, and uh, I love that if you turn to 7, verse seven, eleven, 11 and 12, and then in 15, and it says, all the angels stood around the throne. This is the other side of the veil and the elders and the four beasts, and they fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God and saying the things we said. But then in 15, it says, therefore are they before the throne of the Lord and serve him day and night in his temple. Mm -hmm. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And this is during the time that we're doing the gathering. On the other side of the veil, they're helping us and pleading for us so that this work is done before the final trump sounds, the final seal is broken. And so with the final seal, um, when it is opened, there's silence in the heavens for the space of half an hour. And there are many people that will speculate what that means, but I won't How because long? I can see. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't matter, but that idea that that don't like stay watchful that there's gonna be a time that you're not really looking or you're looking towards other things, that it's not it's gonna be a surprise in that you have this half an hour of silence. And then come these seven angels. And the seven angels are grumpy, naughty angels that we don't like. Sorry, can I say that about angels that I personally am not happy with? (laughs) Because they're really going to wreak havoc. And um, another angel, this one, isn't one of the seven. And this shocked me. He comes and he has a golden censer. And a censer is what you burn incense in. And we know that, remember, the incense stood for what in the ancient temple? Do you remember?
2: The saints' prayers. The prayers Prayers of the saints.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's the prayers of the saints. The saints pray for the end to come. And I thought what I just said, that my heart has changed. I used to be so afraid of the future. And now I'm like, oh Lord, I know so many people that have been so injured. Just let this time to of peace come. come. Mm-hmm. And it's the prayers of the saints that start the whole ball rolling of destruction. Did you already know that? Because you look at me like you did, and I was so surprised by that.
0: All I know is that my heart is in that same place. I'm, I'm just so looking forward to the second coming of our savior.
1: And it says in verse five, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. And there were voices of thunderings and earthquakes and lightnings. And then the seven angels start, um, sound their trumps to prepare for his coming. And it's the great preparing and finishing. So I'm just going to quick go through those angels. And we have no idea what these angels and vials mean. So we're just going to cover them and then you'll know, you'll at least have them and heard them and say, oh, I've read that and now I've heard it. So the first (laughs) angel blows his trump and there is hail, hail and fire with blood and a third of the trees and all the grass is gone. The second one blows his trump and there's a huge volcano and a third of the ocean, the ships and the sea creatures are gone. The third has a great star fall from the sky and wormwood fills the rivers and oceans. And wormwood,
2: do you know what wormwood is? Yeah, you've told me that it's, it's like a hallucinogenic that...
1: Right, it's it's a bit, it's an herb. But that, it's a drug. Right. It's used in vermouth. And so in small quantities, it's like really fun. But in big quantities, much. it can kill you. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's wormwood, which reminds you of so many things. Um Okay, so the fourth... It's, it has to do with the heavens. And, um, oh, I forgot to tell you. So after the third one, there comes an angel and he says, oh, no, I lied, after the fourth one. So the after Wormwood, there's a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. And because we've already seen that symbol of the sun, moon, and the stars, it may involve the church. Because that is a symbol that usually has to do with things that are church-based. And so the church may be involved. And then comes an angel and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the next three angels carry whoa. Oh, and I so, thought like we already did. Yeah. I know. No, I thought you already had a lot well, of woes. I know, but this everything. angel comes in and it's like, these ones are really bad. That was nothing yet. Uh, They're ready. I but know. I do the think first it's four because, sounded bad. because yeah. there are little corners that show that these will involve more of these church and religious things and cleanse also that other piece. Because in five, it says a star falls with the key to the bottomless pit. And we know keys are priesthood based. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the locusts um, with the armor and the scorpions attack. But they only attack those people that aren't sealed. By the Holy Spirit of promise. They aren't sealed, the hundred and forty-four thousand. So those that are sealed are protected. So it's as though with these first ones it gives them time to repent. But at this point, this is where the great judgment happens. And so there is a release of um of of smoke from the, the base, which is probably the influence of evil, becomes really great. And they're allowed to annoy these these to sting them but not kill them for five months and the king of the people who attack is called abaddon and he, that means destroyer and so the great destroyer comes with the sixth a voice is heard from the four horns of the altars of the temple so it's interesting that it comes from the temple and they lose the angels that hurt the earth and for an hour a day a month and a year a third of the men die. And again, it only applies to those that aren't sealed. And it's the first time that men have died. Because before these, it's all the nature that's mm-hmm. being affected. And then they're injured, but they're not dead. But, the, but this one is the first time that a fourth of mankind will die. And it says the army is 2 million strong They have horses with the lion's head and mouth with fire and brimstone and tails like serpents. And so that could sound like missiles or weapons of war, and a lot of people have felt like there will be a large war that will break out at that point. Those that are not killed do not repent from worshiping their idols and worshiping the beast, which is surprising that Just like the end of the Book of Mormon, when that great destruction came, they were so filled with anger, there wasn't a change in their hearts. And so it's interesting that before the woes, you get the feeling there might be, Mm -hmm. but after the woes, that will not happen. And then still in the sixth, um, it says that chapter 10 um, is interesting because here we have, we're still, after all these things in that... uh, and that sixth uh, angel, and the sixth trump sounds, and the angel comes with a rainbow on his head, and it says that he's given a book to eat, and he says, eat, and um, it feels like honey in his mouth, and it's bitter in his belly, and then John is told to go prophesy what he's eaten to the people, and so this is so fascinating to me, and I do want you to say what do you think about when John sees all this, and then he has this pause at the sixth, right before the coming of Christ, with these trumpets that are sounding? What do you think about this book that he eats? It's this book. <laughs>
0: it's this revelation. You know, it's interesting, too. We have the insight when we're talking the Book of Mormon, where we also have Nephi gain the same vision. And he's told not to write it down because another that because John, John will, be will doing write it. it. Mm-hmm. John and will TNC write it. In ninety
1: three, you have all this truth, and it stop because John will give us further writings. So even though it may be this. I believe that at this point, John will come, we're told that John has other scripture he's going to give us, and John will come and we will receive that other scripture. Even more. Right, because John is told then to prophesy to the people at that point. So there will come this last moment with the sixth trump where there'll be a pause before the very last woe where we'll have further scripture revealed. And then comes the two prophets that we right. hear about, the and they teach for three and a half years in Jerusalem, and it's the three and a half. Mm-hmm. It's that mm-hmm. time of prep right before the end, and they're killed, and they lay in the street, and then there's a great earthquake, and it says one-tenth of the city falls, or 7,000 men. We know seven. Has to do with it'll be of the Lord, and thousand means it's going to be a lot. a lot. So it doesn't mean that you can count seven thousand, but it means it's the Lord's hand. The Lord will choose, and it'll be a lot. Unlike the evil ones who are destroyed before with the army, where a fourth of the men die that won't be from the Lord, this will be from the Lord. And so, and then they rise again and they preach. And then the last woe is finally open, and the last is a voice from heaven. And this I love where the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of the Lord. And the nations are judged, and the temple of God is open in the heavens, and there's earthquakes, thunderings, and lightnings, and then he ends. He doesn't tell about when Christ comes. It's the prep. But at this point, the people that are left are sealed, mm-hmm. and they'll come, and the temple is in the heavens, and will be lifted up. And then we don't hear anything, and he goes back. And he goes back to kind of the beginning Christ. of this dispensation <clears throat> and to
0: Christ. Well, but I do think, too, to realize he gives us little snippets throughout this whole thing about the Savior. So he gives us this whole long history, like you just described so beautifully. But along with that,
1: there's snippets of hope within Oh, this, throughout the whole thing? Thro- yeah. Throughout the whole and thing. Savior during the is three woes, those that are sealed, those that are Always. part are protected and have the power. To be with him, and so and and that he'll wipe their tears, that he's right, there for them, right. and so over and over again, being part of that protection. Don't wait until the third or fourth trumpet to repent, because there's a point where it seems like there's no repentance right. as things really ramp up. Which is what you said about perfect love casteth out all fear. When people are filled with love with fear, they don't change their hearts at that point because yeah. they're so worried about today. Yeah. Well, and then we also have the context
0: that he brings into this idea of the war in heaven and how that's going to continue here on earth. And so that also helps us to understand the Lord's plan and why all this is happening.
2: So it's it's interesting that he goes straight from... Uh, Eleven, which is fire, 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 brimstone, too. And
1: then he stops before Stop, the end. He, he Stops like, before the end, the end, and then he goes, goes back back backwards. To pre- yeah, pre-mortal.
2: like pre-mortal. I wonder if it was like a different day. Like I wonder if it was like he had to take a break, and then he yeah, he's came like back it too might much. have been too <laughs> hard, too, too hard it, yeah. to, Let's go to back to all His tongue was closed because again, it's scripture for a different time.
1: Oh uh, no, he goes on to it later in the yeah, he does. The so same on, It would been. He Still would have been a different time for him. different
2: yes, a different time for him. Um. Oh, so it is interesting when you are talking about Revelation having some of the most Joseph Smith translation um, as any other book. It's most of it is in uh, Revelations twelve, and it's it's kind of crazy how he rearranges the whole right the whole chapter. It's almost I was it's funny I was taking some notes and I'm like why are my why are my verses all mixed up like I'm talking about verse six and then three and then four and I'm like oh. That's right. I was I was reading Joseph Smith's translation, r- translation, right. which is again it's so similar, but it's just it's just more clear. So it's interesting because he starts with the woman, When we the bridegroom is the church, and this is the woman who is pregnant with the Savior of the world. So this is the church as it as it um, oh as it start, and it starts with the tr- woman being pregnant, about to bear child. This is. Um, And it's interesting because it says she's uh, travailing in birth and pained um, to be delivered. And I always think both in kind of the church into getting Christ coming and then even Mary herself um, had a very (laughs) painful and travailing delivery, having to um, travel travel to Bethlehem.
0: Well, and I think how powerful for us to be reading this in preparation for Christmas. Yeah. So as we prepare our families for Christmas, this is a perfect thing for us to be reading and talking it about is, as families. Is I think of Mary
1: and the birth of Christ exactly,
2: and and the state of and the state of the church when when Christ um, was born. It says uh, later in this, it says that uh, the dragon, which we'll get into, is trying to eat him up. And you're like, um, think of Herod, right? When, right. When, I you know, know. Right, eating those born, babies. Right. He had to be whisked away. Uh, so after it talks about the woman, it then talks about the dragon. And we've mentioned the dragon. Um, and this is dragon, which was Lucifer. And he has the seven heads and the ten horns um, and the seven crowns upon his heads, which is, it's so interesting. And we've talked a little bit about this where it kind of, it seems to be that it's kind of a fake church that is, has the power of the world that is really just has f- kind of fake fake power that people worship. Um, and then she's ready to devour her child after Christ is born. And that's where I really think of Herod and, and the people and how he's whisked away to Egypt for those few years to protect him. Because in, well, I guess five of Joseph Smith's translation, it says, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her for a thousand two hundred and three and years. Which we've talked about is the three and a half years of incomplete or
1: or um, Um, or or preparation, preparation,
2: and this is the point where this is probably both Christ as a young child and then also in the church in his early stages, Mm -hmm. because both um, when Christ was himself was teaching, there was kind of a respite where he was able to, he was able to touch so many people, he was able to bring the word, and then when um, Joseph Smith was uh, brought the word back again. He was able to touch and bring people to the gospel for a short time of preparation. Um, and then it actually goes back again, in at least Joseph Smith's translation, and talks about the war in heaven. And it talks about Michael um, uh, Michael, neither the child nor the woman, which was the church of God. So there, Joseph Smith himself okay. says, The woman is the church of God, which is one of the the great things about Justin's Translation. Right. So it's It black helps and white. you understand
0: it, those yeah, symbols. Yeah, it helps you He, he does a out, good job. Um,
1: and you don't have to like say, oh, it could be this, could it be could that. It could be this. like, the no. Woman no. The, the woman God. is the
2: church of God. The woman is the church of God. Black and white. It says, Michael fought the dragon, and the dragon was cast out of heaven, as we know. Um, the great dragon who was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, who also is called Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And so you have this dragon and this church.
1: And did you get that he was cast out into the earth? He is cast right. out onto the earth. He's yes, right. Which He's is definitely so, here. Which is where He's the woman. Definitely which here. is here and tempting us. Yes.
2: Um, and so we and now everything's on the earth. So now the church is on the earth. It's been established. It's been protected for the few years, and thus and Satan's on the earth. And then you have the fight. You have the current ongoing, go, ongoing war, and it says, "For they have overcome him." Oh, but we're uh, it's funny because there is hope in this verse mm-hmm. or um, in this chapter because in 11, it says, for they have overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their own lives but kept their testimony even unto death. And so we're able to withstand the the dragon, the, the um, Satan. And I do, there is, and it talks more about how the woman is given wings so the church is able to move and not be completely swallowed up. But I really just like this last verse where it says, Therefore the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which which keep the commandments of God and have a testimony of Jesus. And I just think that it's so interesting um, that kind of imagery of making war with us. Because often we use tempt we're tempted that we go through trials all these things but for to have the kind of imagery of that, that that satan that the church this this kind of fake church that he has that other people are worshiping is making war with the remnants of the church with with the members of the church i think is interesting
1: it is interesting because i think sometimes um when you're making war your strategy it's well thought out. yeah. And so I think sometimes with tempting, we don't think that, but with war, and that's where I think like with the prophet and his last, you know, looking for peacemakers, mm-hmm. that I think sometimes even the contention of the world can seep into our wards and our relationships. Yeah. And to lift that out because it's probably one of these warring strategies is to try and have it come within our ranks as opposed to us being unified and loving each other.
0: Well, and I also think that within each one of us, we're dealing with a war. So it's not even external or within the church, but also within our souls. Yeah. We might be dealing with those same warring feelings. You know, am I going this way? Am I going that way? Which way should I go? Those feelings also war within each one of us.
2: Yeah. Warring with the natural man. And it's interesting because a war isn't one battle. A war is multiple battles fought over the, the for the span of years. I don't know of a war that has lasted a short amount of time and that hasn't had wins and losses. And you think we lose some with our own thing, with our own, with our own eternal battles. And then with um public ones, there are times where the church has taken some some losses, I would say, in battles. Um, and there are other times where it's won, but we're continually in this war with Satan. Um, and it, so we kind of know this this war, and it's now on earth, um, and we know of it that it was in heaven. Um, and thirteen continues, and 13's where it gets more symboly. Full, mm-hmm. More full of symbols, <laughs> symboly. It's symboly, um, and it kind of goes back into um, "If any man have an ear, let him hear," which is in uh, when it's talking about the the blessings. Was that last week that we were talking about all the blessings? I noticed that it there were so many times. If any man have any ear, let him hear, and this kind of um, that message of of kind of listen up. This is what mm-hmm. you can get. Um, and, and the, listen to the spirit because it will tell
1: spirit. you what it means.
2: Yes. Uh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting about this chapter 13 is I noticed that there was a third group of people. So there's the church of, um, the church of Christ. So there's the woman and then there's the dragon, which kind of has its own church and it adds more, um, metaphorical beasts here to help mm-hmm. kind of build it up as this church. And then there's the third part that is getting kind of drawn into either group. And it's interesting because it's it's those are the people that the dragon has power over in the end of 13 when the lamb comes up that we'll talk about later. But it's these it's these people that the, the kind of I think the um, kind of the church of Satan is what I'll call it has kind of deceives and ends up getting power over. And it's this kind of middle people. And I think it's people who haven't been sealed as people mm-hmm. who haven't been fully converted
0: and the and the lukewarm people, we, the lukewarm talked about, people we talked yeah, about we talked about the lukewarm they're going to get pulled out and they're and going to
2: get pulled into Satan's. Those whole... are that
0: third third group.
2: Yeah, this is where the scary gets on. Um, it talks about the the uh, what is it the image that's going to be or the mark they receive the mark, the mark on their forehead or on their arm, and I I don't know I think we could speculate a long time about what that is or mm-hmm. if it could be in the future if it's currently some some. Um, a, a current symbol in today, but it is uh, really important using this these verses to be fully in the church, to be part of the woman, part of Christ's remnant, because if you're not, you're going to get pulled into places you don't want to be, um, and it's just still, it's just constantly a war.
0: Well, and that goes right along with what we're going to read in Revelations 14, Matter of fact, we're gonna see another angel. I mean, you went through all those seven, those seven angels. Yep. But this is another angel, and we're reading chapter fourteen, verses six through this seven.
1: Fred. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking how there's this guy named Fred, and he's like, I really want to be one of the angels. So they really keep on sticking a random angel in. You know, they'll have the seven and then there's oh, one more, and then oh, one from the one east, more. and then one from <laughs> oh,
0: Well, it's this Fred. is another angel. He says, I saw <laughs> another angel. Fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. So this is the angel that's bringing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, the restoration of the gospel. The one
1: on top of every temple. Fred was the Well, next not at the
0: new ones. A lot of the new ones are not. <laughs> oh, that's true. So what I wanted to also say is right after 11, this, Revelation 14, we also have a description of two harvests. So oh, we have two times that the harvests happen. And this is also described in the parable of the wheat and tares in Matthew. And we kind of already talked about that, but I did want to just kind of go over those two harvests. The first one is in, in oh. verses 14 through 16. The first harvest gathers out the righteous from the wicked, and this gathering usually began with the gospel being restored in the latter days, but it will continue throughout the millennium, you know, so it's going to continue. But the second gathering represents God's judgment upon the wicked and the destruction that will come upon them. So this this final gathering is really the last judgment. This first gathering is what's happening on the earth now and through the millennium, trying to gather those. And I also think about temple work as well. So the temple work that also happens is part of this gathering. So it's missionary work here on earth, but it's also missionary work through the temple service that we do for those that have passed on. And we talked a lot about that. When we talked about the baptisms for the dead and the the opportunities that we have there, Elder Rasband gave a wonderful talk about these same verses. John the Revelator prophesied of an angel of the Almighty bringing together important elements of the restoration. We live in that time prophesied. We are the people charged with ushering in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are to gather God's children, those who will hear and embrace truths, covenants and promises of the everlasting gospel. Now, this isn't just Elder Rasband's call to action, but also President Nelson calls us further to to do this. And he has done this over and over again. As a matter of fact, he says the greatest challenge, the greatest cause, and the greatest work on the earth today is is this. And then I think it's also in that Hope of Israel talk, Sister Nelson taught that we have opportunities to fulfill our mortal missions, but we don't have to. No one will make us. And that goes to your idea of the lukewarm, yeah. you know, those that are, you know, yeah. we don't have to do this. We're, we're called to this work, but we don't have to. We have our agency to choo- choose how we spend our time and energy, our talents and resources. In fact, what we choose to do is actually part of our testing. The choice is yours and mine. Will we choose to do whatever it takes to fulfill the wonderful missions for which we are sent on earth? And right now we're sent on earth to prepare for the second coming. So I wanted to ask you very specifically, how can we do better? How can we do better in bringing forth this greatest work? You know, what are some thoughts in your own life personally, things that we can do to help further the work forward?
2: Well, I think it also will change like change our answers will be very different cuz again i have 3 small children mm-hmm. and right now a lot of my focus is, is them and helping their foundation be secure um, and as whoop, in times of when i feel like when they're okay and we're getting good then I, I reach out but really it's i have a i have a pretty small bubble of people i'm working on and i have i have a neighbor who i've been reaching out with but it is a small bubble well, cuz i have you have i have 3 investigators living in my home right now and an <laughs> an investigator as my neighbor and i'm like four four, four i can do and four and that's a good pool that's a good missionary pool,
1: pool. i'm yeah. impressed and
2: so right now that's my focus and with my children, it's a lot of examples. It's a lot of I need to be kind i need to I need to bring the scriptures into our home um and so it's funny because yeah, the way i can the way I can further the work right now is be better myself, continually work on myself so my children can see it um, but I'm sure that is is fairly different for you in your stage of life.
1: I don't know. I don't think it really changes because children are full time but um No, but I also think that each one of us have a sphere of influence, and I think that you undermine. You've had birthday parties, and you've invited neighbors over to dinner, and I think that idea of reaching out. The other day I was coming down my street, and there were two of my neighbors who um, both have experiences with the church, but neither one. Um, has gone. One of them's not a member and one of them hasn't gone since she was a child. And just being able to talk to them and just feel like you grow closer. And so I think that we have to like expand our sphere of influence. That even when we're in the grocery store, that everyone we talk to, everyone we touch, we feel like we can still have, you know, make them feel loved and make them feel important and make them feel seen, I think is part of doing that same thing, being part of the reaping, because you don't know what piece along the spectrum you can add or give.
0: I will say this too, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to do a lot of of more worldwide outreach just Mm -hmm. because of my work with G20 Interfaith Forum. And as I do so, I am also impressed with the faithfulness of people in other religions who believe in Jesus Christ but also live truly a life of charity and love for others. And so that as we we see that we do see kind of this um this change in the world where we see the the good getting better and better and better and then those that aren't getting worse and worse and worse. And so because of that divide we can see that in terms of when we work with people inside and outside the church. We feel feel that. The other thing that I wanted to also comment on is we are so negative about social media. Oftentimes, you know, we just say, oh, we have to be so careful. Oh, we can't. Social media, though, is such a powerful influence for teaching others and for reaching out and doing missionary work. And so I would say that's another part of this greatest challenge, greatest cause, is that we do um, basically the fact that we're doing this podcast— as women read scripture, is another opportunity for us to spread the message to others, and I think that that is a positive way that we can use some of these, you know, different yeah. vehicles that we have in our society today. That sometimes we say, "Oh, you know, these are, are are difficult or evil, or they can be an evil channel, but they can also be a very positive channel for yeah. spreading the word." That's true. So as we talk about this. Um, we want to come out of trib- tribulation. We want to come out of this, you know, come out on top. What are, what are some thoughts on how we can come uh, come so, out of this?
2: Uh, going back to when we uh, hear about the lamb uh feeding us and and wiping away and God wiping away our tears. It 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 does seem like there's great tribulation in this time. But it is interesting that it's um after that great tribulation, that we get all of these benefits. So, I have a quote that I, um, s- sadly, missed the the author, but this is a quote that says, "Brothers and sisters, suffering and righteousness, or brothers and sisters, suffering and righteousness helps qualify you for, rather than distinguishes you from God's elect, um, and make it, it makes their promises your promises." And then it goes on to talk about what John um, says that we shall hunger no more. Thirst no more, um, neither shall any sunlight on you nor heat, and so it is interesting that I, that idea that suffering helps qualify you, not keeps you from. I know there are times right. in my life where I'm like, "Wow, I'm suffering so much. I must not be. I must not be where He wants me to be, if I'm going through this trial." But that is not the case, and it's interesting to even from an outside perspective not to see other people who are suffering be like oh they're obviously making bad decisions because they're they're in times of suffering they're going through a trial um and so i do think it's interesting and then when it talks about um therefore they are before the throne of god and serve him day and night in his temple that he sits on the throne shall dwell among them i definitely i think it's just another um commenting on the temple on the other side and I'm sure there are people who have suffered so much and have passed on. And now they're temple workers. Now, they're, now they get <laughs> they to be in the temple night and day. They and, get they might, and they're just on the other side. And there are all of those experiences and feelings of um, those waiting in the temple to go through. And I'm sure they're there just enjoying wiping away tears and bringing people through the veil and, and just having joy after their time of suffering.
0: You know, and yes. that, that kind of uh, leads me to talk just for a moment in terms of Latter-day Scripture about exactly what you're talking about. I was impressed, too, as a, as we were talking about the temple, and we've talked a lot about the beast. Mm-hmm. And, Christine, you did such a, an amazing job going through all of <laughs> those the, whole thing. the horses yeah. and the vials and the and, angels and, you know, the destruction that was going to happen. But along with that, we have this hope that's given to us through the temple. And I went back and I read section 109, which is the temple dedicatory prayer for the Kirtland Temple, which is the first temple that was, you know, dedicated here in the latter days. And I was impressed with the promises because it wasn't just for the saints, but it was for all nations, that all nations would be blessed. Through the temple. Which is exactly what's happened. Which is exactly what's happening today. I just was in awe as I thought about how many temples we're building. In places that you would never expect a temple to be. It's truly dotting the world. It's amazing. It's dotting the world. And then I also was thinking about how we fight against the beast. And in Doctrine and Covenants 115 which in verse 4, we have the name of the church that's first said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But right after that name, and we talked a lot about the Lamb, especially last time, but right after he names his church, he then says to us as members of the church, Verily I say unto you, arise and shine forth, that thy light may be a standard for the nations, and that the gathering together upon the land of Zion And upon her stakes may be for a defense. So we're defending ourselves, you know, against, you know, the dragon. It's part of the war. Her stakes may be for a defense, for a refuge from the storm and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. Those trumpets. That goes right into that's right. (laughs) That goes right into what you were discussing Mm. in terms of all of those things are gonna be happening but the beauty of the end is if we go to the end and the destruction of the beast and that's found in revelations 17 and i'm just going to read 14 and 16 these shall make war with the lamb so this is the the negative you know the okay. the we're talking we had the lamb that was also talking like the dragon. We had a couple of new beasts, one from the sea, one from the land. And so all of these people will come against the lamb and the Mm -hmm. lamb shall overcome them for he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And then going to 16 and the 10 horns, which thou sawest upon the beast. So, no, know, the, the negative beast. We talked about those 10, you know, yeah. the 10 horns. These shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, for me, I found that fascinating in that what's going to happen is people are going to turn on each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, there's going to be an implode on wickedness. Yes,
0: and, and like... so they're going to, here they've sealed themselves with the dragon. Yeah. And now when the Lord of Lords comes they're going to fight amongst themselves and those that are with the lamb will be safe, but
1: those who are not will. And that's why, why that problems. unity is so important on the other side yeah. because there's that, you know, that contention just turns in on itself. It doesn't ever, we were saying how sometimes people that cancel people in cancel culture then are canceled the next week when you look at, you know, and it's it's just funny because you'd think they'd be safe, but there's just this constant, well, and the prophet other. Joseph Smith
0: taught very specifically about this. He said, when God made use of the figure of the beast and visions of the prophets, he did it to represent those kingdoms which had degenerated and become corrupt, savage, and beast-like in their dispositions, wow. even the degenerate kingdoms of this wicked world. And so I was thinking about you know just what we read every day in the news, and it's so described just exactly like Joseph Smith. <laughs> and yet what we have to look forward to is that the Lamb shall overcome. We don't have to worry about that. Well, as we come to the end of you know our discussion today, I wanted to say, how has Revelation kind of helped your testimony? I mean... Do you feel more fearful or do you feel more hopeful? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I love that if you're sealed, that you're safe. So that made me feel a lot more hopeful, that there'll be wicked, terrible things that will happen, but those that are sealed to the Lord, those that are part of his kingdom and have really made that their focus, will have their tears wiped away. So it'll still be difficult emotionally, but also they'll be physically safe many times.
2: I just really... When we, at the very beginning of Revelation, we talk about the unveiling of Christ. I think really this conversation and these last two weeks that we've been able to really pull the Christ in Revelations that I don't feel like is talked enough about. And see, it really, there's some beauty. Like we talk about Christ's beauty in Revelation so much. And I love, I love his, um, the symbol of the Lamb. And it's so much in this. And I love, I even love that at the end after he comes we're not the ones who need to um like end the other side and the side of the dragon that they're able to do it themselves when you build yourself up in a in a, a contentious violent manner you end it in a contentious violent manner and if we build ourselves up in love and walking in light and and with christ we'll be okay and so i did love that revelations
0: well and The last thought that I had too was as we look to Christ, as we look to Him, we also need to do His work. You know, the other thought that came up to me, we've talked a lot about lukewarm. You know, we talked about that last week. And we talked again about those lukewarm people who then are kind of like, I don't know which, you know, which place to go. Am I with the dragon? Am I with the lamb? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure. And how those become sealed to the dragon. And yet, as I'm looking at this, we have the responsibility, the angel who is coming to the harvesting, that angel can't do it alone. He's doing the trumpet, but we're the ones that help gather. We're a part of this harvest. And so it is our responsibility here in the latter days to make sure that people hear this message that we need to come unto him, we need to follow him. And that is our responsibility. To not be lukewarm in terms of that message, but to be hot stuff. Right? Hot stuff. Hot that's stuff. Right. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful discussion about our Savior Jesus Christ. Thank
1: you. Thank you.